welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I am excited about today's guest. We've got an Australian again. We had an Australian in the, the episode just gone and we've got a South Australian on the, on the call today. So Daniel Blackwell, thanks for coming in and talking to me. G'day Brent, thanks for the opportunity to uh, have a chat today. I'm really looking forward to it. No, it should be really cool. I think you've got some some really cool things to share with everyone out there, and um, I'm keen to uh, get into how you go about your coaching. But I'm curious to to hear your story about how you started. How do you how did you get into golf? How did you go down that coaching pathway? Oh wow. Okay, this is a um, it might be a long winded story, and um, <laughs> I might. Uh, look into it, it might be probably a little bit more Tasmanian than South Australian, but now that I reside in SA, I uh, love the place, so I'm very much um, a bit of both. But, uh, yeah, I guess when I grew up, um, I grew up on a, a dairy farm in, in Tasmania, out in the Midlands, um, pretty much middle of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, apart from uh, getting up early and helping out the family with the farm, uh, there wasn't a heck of a lot to do. Uh, so I was, I was quite fortunate. My my great-grandfather, he was a patron of the local nine-hole course, which was uh, called Eldersley Golf Club. And uh, he uh, donated some land there uh, to help uh, set it all up. And it's just, uh, it's such a, a long time ago now, but it, it, he, uh, he bought a couple of clubs for me uh, just to uh, get started. Um, I uh, pretty much I would I'd just be practicing as much as I could when I had the opportunity. There was something about it that uh, I really uh, I, I just loved about it. I guess it was just that challenge of you know how hard it was to actually hit this golf shot uh, as straight as possible. And when um, I would uh, sort of get into the game, uh, I guess the thing that probably resonates the most with me is that when I would. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to catch maybe two buses to get to school, okay, because it was that far out of everything. So uh, uh, at the morning, uh, I'd, I'd try and get up early and, and go out, and I'd actually practice out in the paddock out in mum and dad's backyard, uh, and I'd do the same when I got home. And uh, that uh, that challenge of, uh, of working on my game and, and sort of uh, – being able to have that opportunity to go up and play the local course, uh, met you know, heaps of really nice, you know, they were pretty much all farmers uh, from the from the region, and uh, it was just great to get up there and to be amongst the club. And I was a member there for years, and and uh, had some success there as well. And yeah, I guess that opportunity to play because no one in my family plays. Uh, Mum and Dad uh, don't know much about the game, bless them. But uh, you know, uh, but I uh, it was just all self driven, I guess, in the way of me uh, wanting to. Uh, get better and, and I just love that challenge of the game that was that was the big the big crux of it I guess awesome. some some comments there I think we'll come back to as we as we go through your your coaching but um going into uh your traineeship you did your traineeship in Tasmania yeah that's right I um I did my traineeship at uh, Tasmania Golf Club uh it was underneath uh the head professional at the time Doug Murray and uh I guess the the journey how to get there uh, again that, that was a long one, but I was about uh, I think it was about twenty one when I uh, started up as a trainee there, and I was just fortunate enough. Like I I originally wanted to uh, progress my game, so I'd, I'd maybe look at a traineeship uh, interstate, and uh, I went away and and worked on the the playing test side of things. So I travelled a few venues and played some uh, trainee events around the place. Uh, as the playing test, uh, but there wasn't really that many uh, uh, positions available. So I came back home and I'd actually missed the playing test in Tassie and and I thought, oh, gee, I've actually probably missed out on both opportunities here. And I, I called around all the, the, the clubs around the place and, and Doug was the, uh, the one pro that uh, called me back and, and he said, oh, by a chance I've actually uh, opened up another store, like another golf shop. So he he was running a pro shop at Kingston Beach Golf Club, and so he goes, "Oh, I actually need a trainee to um, <laughs> to fill in uh, both both places," and that was a, a massive opportunity for me. And and I never looked back, and I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity because if 
maybe he didn't call me back. I'm not really sure where I'd end up. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so three-year traineeship, and then after that, what was the, the plan? Did you have the, the stars in the eyes, as we all do, and keen to go out there and play on tour? Was that the, the goal to start with? Yeah, definitely. I think as any youngster, we, we always pursue the game. Um, I had, you know, Greg Norman's my idol, so I just loved everything that he did. And I thought, well, look, uh, I want to try and uh, push my game as far as I could. Uh, the early stages of my traineeship, my uh, Doug really uh, identified, I, I think, my uh, ability to sort of help. Um, got me involved with the junior program quite quickly. And uh, from there, uh, I started to see some results even from just her early stages as a trainee and that's something that uh, triggered with me. I thought, oh, look, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, seeing, you know, people being happy about their games and, and seeing improvement and it, it felt really cool. Like I, I was there and I'd offer some advice and um, and, and it made them better. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, so that, yeah that was cool. It seems to be a common theme with, with, with good quality coaches is they have that early success with kids or with the, the students that they're helping and you get that enthusiasm for the coaching process as opposed to just being out there as a player. So I think that um, seems to be a common theme that I'm hearing from, from high-quality coaches. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll look at it too. Like I uh, I think it to help people is it comes a bit naturally to me as well. I think I'm that sort of sort of, sort of guy. Um, and for the early stages, it, it felt a bit strange uh, actually when I started up coaching uh, to offer advice and, and actually be paid for it. You know, because I'd be actually uh, at my home club, I'd be willing, you know, giving out tips here and there for those who asked for it. Uh, so I, I did had to uh, sort of come to terms with that. Uh, but when uh, I had those opportunities to work with the junior programs and then uh, eventually start doing some one-on-one lessons. That was a huge uh, moment for me to go, well, look, uh, I, I actually really enjoy this and you, you aspire to do the best you can and the PGA gave me a, an excellent pathway with uh, the traineeship and uh, you know, the, the training opportunities that come with it and, and opportunities to meet new people and, and travel to different locations. You know, that's just the best and, and I, uh, I think that's, what resonated so well with me with that coaching, um, coaching opportunities or the pathway that way. So, how did a a junior golfer, or a, a young pro from Tassie, come to be in South Australia? <laughs> yeah, well, I had uh, probably about I, I was involved with the you know, Golf Tasmania um, state program, and uh, when. When I finished up at Tasmania Golf Club, um, I, I ended up becoming a head professional at Kingston Beach, and I was quite young when that occurred. I, I think I was one of the youngest uh, club pros in Tassie at the time, and uh, that was a huge responsibility to all of a sudden you've gone from working underneath um, a club pro and then all of a sudden you're the man, and being so young and then uh, managing staff underneath you as well, uh, it was quite intimidating, and and I did I enjoy it? Um, I'll probably be honest. Like I, I it was okay, uh, but it, it didn't really fit me that well. Uh, and I tried to pursue coaching quite heavily when I became the club pro there. And that's how I, I and I was asked to uh, run out, run through the, uh, the golf Tasmania program and, and get involved with the state teams there. So uh, I continued that. I did that for about six years. So coaching both the junior boys and girls. And then I guess each year you reflect on where your pathway is and where you're progressing and uh, looking at it in the sense of going, well, am I going to keep on doing this? Um, am I going to grow as a coach, as an individual? Um, and I really wanted a full-time coaching position. And that wasn't going to happen in Tasmania, sadly. Um, you know, there was always some sort of uh, commitment to a club role or admin role there, and uh, it was just by just by chance. My, my uh, contracts with Golf Tasmania were finishing up, um, and I, I was looking around on the website uh, on the PGA website, and and it was it was I think it was actually after the WA India State Series, and I was chatting with uh, the 
Tassie manager is a good friend of mine now and um, we were sort of saying, well, our time's finishing up here with Golf Taz. Do we try and think of doing something else? And and I wanted to look for a full-time coaching position. Royal Adelaide came up and I thought, gee, this is a, a massive, massive opportunity. Uh, and I thought, well, what have I got to lose really? I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm trying to get better. Um, I, I thrive on having success. And I wanted to push myself more and, and challenge myself more. And the process of how I went about and you know, it actually uh, being lucky enough to get that position is I, I put so much preparation in Brent to uh, get that job. Um, and looking back on it now, something I'm really proud of, and it was probably a bit eccentric at the time, but I, uh, I knew what I wanted. Uh, I wrote down, I did my research on typical interview questions uh, that what that would come across for the golf industry and write them all down, write answers down. Uh, I would then audio record them, so I'd listen back to how I how I spoke, and I'm still working on that area. <laughs> uh, and then I actually recorded myself video wise and to see how I would come across. And uh, I was totally prepared for the position uh, or for the interview. Sorry and. I went over there, uh, went through, did a bit of history check on Royal Adelaide as well, uh, said the right things, uh, travelled back to Tassie uh, the next day and I got a phone call the next morning and, uh, yeah, and I was fortunate enough to get that position and I had probably two months to uh, pack up and, and head over <laughs> and that was a... Tie, uh, tie yourself and head over to a yeah to a whole new city. Yeah, and, and the, the drive because I, I caught the, uh, the ferry across Bass Strait uh, I had my car, I had my Titleist uh, travel cover with all my clothes in it. Um, I had a couple of boxes of books and my golf clubs and that was it. Wow. And I um, I just drove from Melbourne straight to Adelaide. I remember travelling across the border <laughs> and, uh, and, and just thinking, okay, I'm now in South Australia, uh, this has to work. <laughs> I have no choice. I've left everything else behind. Um, I didn't know anyone in South Australia. I uh, left all my family back in Tassie and it's been the best decision I've made, uh, one of the hardest decisions I've made because I don't see my family all that often. Um, but I've set up a new life over here and, and I've had um, some really good moments over here as well. So it's a long story, but <laughs> we got there. No, that's, that, that's a cool story and scary as well, I'm sure. So out there by yourself for the first time, um, an awful long way from home. Um, essentially starting from scratch. That's yeah. that's a pretty that's a pretty cool story. So, yeah. it brings me to a couple of questions. So you you spoke before about your you, you were the head pro at a at a club at a very yep. young age. Yep. Um, didn't like that type of role, and I think that's the way our golf industry in Australia is changing. So. 20 years ago, probably yeah, probably say 20, 30 years ago, it was all about the club pro did everything. He was mm. the teacher. He was the, the guy behind the counter on a Saturday starting the field. Um, do you think that – and it, it, it certainly is changing, but how do you think that's going about now? So uh, there's certain – it's, it's certainly in, in the private clubs, there's specialist teaching pros, there's a specialist head pro that oversees it, and there's there seems to be specialists in all the roles. So is that more of a common thing these days, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think – We've, we now have that opportunity that we can specialise in a particular area of the industry and um, there's sometimes there's traits that don't necessarily, uh, well, requirements that don't necessarily match up to the person and whether or not you can work on uh, upskilling, that's fine. Yeah, we, we have that through the ACE program, which is uh, brilliant. Uh, but we look at it now that you're going to start seeing more and more specialist coaches, I, I would say, or specialist uh, professionals. And I also think the model of the club pro now running his uh, his golf shop as a separate entity, that's starting to potentially drift away and we're looking at uh, clubs uh, taking over uh, the golf shop as uh, the whole whole business. Uh, that's, uh, def- that's the case at uh, Kionga uh, where I'm at now. Uh, the, the golf shop uh, is uh, run by the club. Uh, but we have professionals in uh, in that uh, situation and uh, a, a coaching team as well. So what steps did you take 
from that club pro role to put yourself in that spot as a specialist golf coach. So did you do any any further education or oh, what yeah. skills did you build personally to, to put yourself out there as a specialist golf coach? Yeah, um, I would look at it in a way of uh, I'm, I'm always pretty big on reflecting and uh, I guess just cross-checking where I can improve and, and what I'm doing well. And I, I do that on a regular basis. And the programs that we have in the way of upskilling, I, I went through the uh, Titleist Performance Institute uh, and that's a huge part of our industry now with the golf fitness. And that uh, that started to open up my eyes in the sense of there's a lot more uh, pathways you can sort of pursue in the way of uh, training and it, it gave me some good contacts as well. Uh, so I... I I went through uh, the Titus Performance Institute training um, and then also I travelled international as well, uh, shadowed under a number of instructors over in the States uh, and that was, I've done that a few times now. Uh, Probably won't be doing that uh, much more but (laughs) for obvious reasons. Uh, COVID world. Yeah, but I guess that's what uh, I I guess that would have been a big focus of mine is to go, well, okay, what avenues do I have within the industry to get better at what I do? Uh, and it was just more about shadowing other coaches and not necessarily uh, to, I guess, uh, fill holes in, in my sort of coaching repertoire, I guess, but it's just sort of seeing what I can do better and then potentially actually looking at areas that I didn't necessarily agree with as well and going, well, I still need to expose myself to this style of coaching or this method of uh, of instruction uh, and I may not agree with it but I'm, I can still learn from it. Yeah, I would tend to enforce that pretty heavily myself. It's, I don't think there's ever been a coach that I've spent time with that I haven't picked something up from. Like There's, there's certainly plenty of coaches out there that go about it differently to how I would mm. but you'll always pick up something. Um mm. And I think that's 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 a great great thing to do. So it sounds like you went down more of that that practical coaching as opposed to formal formal training. Um, like I, I I I took the step down that tertiary education path and went down that way with the formal sport coaching qualifications. But yes. um, but I and I but I certainly did my fair share of uh, shadowing golf pros as well. So I think um, that combination and it sounds like you've you've got a pretty good blend with that TPI certification mm. um, on top of that that practical experience. It sounds like you've um, had some some great success with that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been uh, I think from uh, I guess. Uh, connections and uh, and knowing what to look for that certainly helped me a lot and uh with i guess now i've made that progression when in my early years as a as a well, in my early years as, as coaching i was probably more of a teacher i was teaching uh the the content the swing uh and I'm far beyond that now I'm, I'm more coaching the individual uh and i've really uh shifted my style of coaching especially over the last two years or so. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm working more with the individual and what they need rather than me telling them what they need to do. And, and that, in my eyes, that's, that's coaching. It's, uh, it's easy to relay what we've learned through our PGA manual or of what we've studied or, or uh, even a certification and, and, and tell the uh, student, okay, this is what you need to do. However, it's like, well, what, what do they require and what does the student want? Yeah, and I am going to come back and circle back to that because I do want you to expand on that idea. But um, yep. is so in your time shadowing different pros, is there any one or two golf pros that stood out as having a big impact on you as a coach? Yeah, definitely. I well, there's two. Uh, I travelled to uh, Rob Knoll, uh, his golf academy in Louisiana. Um, so the it was just fortunate that the uh, World Golf Fitness Summit was there. This was two back back in 2016, and I didn't know where I was going, but I got in the cab. Um, I do some crazy things sometimes, and it, it took me like two hours to get there. It was in this like private estate. It was in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, but I'd heard some really good things about his junior academy, and uh, and I turned up there, and and 
it's just it was mind blowing because it, it, there's so many kids around running around playing golf, and then also a huge uh, facility as well. And I thought, geez, this, this is all right. I don't mind the the idea of this. And uh, it was just great to actually just pick his brains over a few things. And um, yeah, I spent a few days there. And then the other one was uh, uh, I went to Hank Haney's ranch in um, in uh, in Dallas. That was probably my first trip over to the US in 2014. So that was a, a again a really big eye opener there. Um, awesome facility. Uh, big picture of Charles Barkley there. Up on the <laughs> up on these uh, on this academy wall, uh, yeah. So they're, they're probably the two that uh, really stood out uh, for me. And I again, I, I took areas of that of their style and brought it back home with me. Yeah, it's it's powerful to be able to be able to go and see those kind of coaches and take the, those parts that you that apply as a coach to yourself and come back and uh, uh, generate your own thoughts and processes about how you're going to go about it which kind of brings me back to that learning centered coaching which is kind of where um, we see your name pop up quite a bit can you explain to everyone out there what that means to you yeah so like i mentioned earlier it's i I would say early stages of my uh, coaching was about uh, teaching the swing teaching content and i realized that over time there's a there's a ceiling, I guess, of how far you can progress with a student in that regard. And sometimes you would, uh, I, I, maybe I'm looking at it from a, as a young coach perspective, like I, I think I uh, would get a bit agitated when someone wouldn't, you know, pursue what I was telling them because I'm thinking, well, yeah, how dare you not <laughs> do what I'm asking you to do here? And and it's sort of like you sit back and, and I think just through uh, get, getting older and getting a bit wiser and experienced, you sort of go, well, look, you know what? I'm not going to control this person. I can't control this person, but I need to know what makes them tick and I need to know how is the best way to deliver uh, information to help them achieve what they want. And that's what has been a huge uh, shift for me last few years is that uh, I'd be asking the student a lot more questions and rather than telling them, what they need to do, it's about, well, okay, what do you want me to help you with? And uh, so in that regard, there's a lot more personalised coaching in sense of uh, setting up goals for them, um, understanding their strengths and weaknesses and building a uh, development campaign to help them uh, progress and achieve the, the results they want. Okay. And do you find that you, you still push players towards a certain goal or do you go straight down exactly the path that they're keen to go down? Um, it's a discussion and we look at it in a sense of I would I, I had a, a student I sat down with, he's uh, completed a couple of campaigns um, that we've worked on and now we're looking at, okay, well, he's down to a three handicap now and I'm like, well, his goal is to... Uh, get to scratch or shoot under par and I'm like well okay let's see rather than overhauling your swing pattern and you know uh, and tidying up a few of the holes that way let's see what you can do or what you currently do better and just trimming the layers a little bit in the sense of with their game to uh, help them achieve what they want and probably looking at it in the sense of when you have a player there and they they want a specific goal you need to listen to that you need to understand that okay this is what they want and you need to do everything in your power to help them achieve it and you also need to say well look i think you're capable of doing this or or um i think this is probably a little bit more of a realistic expectation level and that's one thing too it's it's always interesting to ask players what their expectations are with a particular style of shot or or a particular uh score as well because sometimes they don't match up and uh again it's a lot more conversation happening with my sessions. It's <laughs> like there's times when you know we've hardly hit any golf balls, but we've done a heck of a lot of learning just purely by discussion and and uh, the uh, you know the application reflection and, and putting in good processes. We're going to get some background noise by the sounds. Things we're getting a bit of bit of rain coming through oh, my house on the tin roof. The so here too. <laughs> let's see if that gets picked up or not. But um, <laughs> That's that's really cool because I think um, I'm certainly guilty of it when I first started coaching, not going down a path that I thought the player should be going down rather than yeah. finding out what that player actually was after 
So um, that's a great first question to ask everyone that comes onto your coaching team is what do you want? Yeah. Um, yep. And start to, to, to talk them through that through that process. And um, I'm assuming you found us find the same thing, but getting them on the golf course quicker rather than working on purely on technique is probably a, a great way to get them towards their goals in a, in a faster way. Yeah, if I run through a process of how I uh, set up, and I, I've called them a, a player development campaign uh, just purely because it's a, a long-term goal and it's long-term development. Uh, initially, if I had a new student contact me, I would uh, invite them to the club. Uh, we'd sit down, have a, a coffee and run over past history, what, uh, what they want to achieve, set up some goals for them and show them you know, where they're going to train and learn. The next step from there would be uh, taking them out onto the golf course, running them through an on-course assessment. So that gives me the real deal. Uh, the driving range, it has its place. It doesn't really give you the true player because it's it's not uh, stimulating enough in a sense unless we alter the practice design to do it. But uh, the golf course is the real deal and that's when we're going to see how a player performs. And the, I say that's the best step for anyone is to take them out to the golf course first and put them in places that they don't expect and then you know, go drive a cart down with them and then stop in the middle of the fairway, grab their golf ball and then throw it in the trees and go, okay, how are you going to get out of this? Because chances are they're not going to be on the fairway too often unless they're like a high school player, but that's a matter of going, well, okay, what skills do you have to uh, what skills or how do you access this type of shot? Do you have the strategies in place or do you have the skill set to achieve it? And I won't know that until I actually put them in that position. It's important too as a coach to actually find out what they're doing because most players don't have that 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 clue about the how they actually play the game. They come to you with a certain problem and you go on the golf course and you go, well, okay, we could actually fix it by doing this, this and this as opposed to the problem that you think it is. So I think seeing it firsthand is a, is a really powerful tool as a yeah. golf coach. So yeah. that's, that's you've set that up really well by the sounds of things, which is great. Thank you. Um, so constraints-led coaching. Is a, a presentation you gave to um, your fellow South Australians yeah. over there. Yeah. Um, talk me through how you came about that idea and where that comes from. Yeah, so with constraints-led approach, it's about manipulating the environment uh, to help or, or probably to guide and assist the player um, self-discover, I guess. So it could be a matter of... Uh, altering uh, the variance on the shot dispersion or a particular style of shot um, to influence a breakdown in in a pattern for the the student to learn. There's a lot of different ways you can uh, use it. Uh, It's still something that uh, is in its infancy, I guess, in the way of that style of approach of uh, uh, training. Uh, But I look at it going, well, there's a sense of consequence involved with uh, the... um, the practice design that you set up. But I will look at it in the sense that I um, I was fortunate enough to uh, – I spoke with uh, Peter Arnott. He's over in um, in Scotland there and, and uh, he has a, a constraints-led approach um, uh, practice and I, I think I, I sort of learned a bit off him and then um, I'll look at it in the sense of going, well, through my natural way of coaching um, – I actually discovered that I coach very much that way. <laughs> and, and it comes back to looking back on now, and this is how I, I, I sort of uh, mentioned it in the presentation for the PGA, I, I, I go back to my early years as when I'm growing up on the farm, is that I, uh, in the early stage, I only had an eight iron. It was this Greg Norman blade eight iron, had his signature on it. It was awesome. I practiced that much with it that I wore the number off it. <laughs> but, but the thing was is that the, uh, the the practice environment for me was uh, the paddock that we had our uh, our stock in and and we would need to uh, change the dimensions of the paddock due to uh, so they didn't need all the pasture basically so I would have this eight iron which I would comfortably hit when I was a youngster you know probably like 120 or something like that and then all of a sudden we'd need to uh, alter the fence alignments and then 
okay, my practice area became 80 metres. So how do I manipulate my eight iron, my technique, to hit an 80-metre shot? And that was a huge, huge thing that through my years as a coach, I've actually gone, oh, how lucky was I to actually have that opportunity to explore and uh, create something. And that's what I've used for my coaching is that I put players into a position where, okay, they want to uh, improve their their pitching uh, or their, their green side chipping. I, I would, and let's say there was a player who was uh, coming over the top a little bit, a bit steep on the ball. So immediately I would put him up to a ball above his feet, uh, try and get a little bit more rounded arc involved with his pattern. Um, and then to help shallow out his angle of attack, I would then put him on an uphill slope. But rather than using the one club, I'd actually get him to, let's just say, hit a 40-metre shot with a 9-9 on an uphill slope and try to create a necessary change in his release pattern to create a softer launch. So it's forcing him to alter his pattern to create a shallower angle of attack, and that's purely by the environment that I set up for him. So like a stronger loft and a bit more uphill slope but hitting a shorter distance. So he needs to alter his swing pattern and, and, and this will give me that opportunity to say, well, okay, does the player have the skills and does, does the player have the enough awareness to alter their technique or alter themselves? And that's how it came about. Yeah. No, that's cool. And I think, um, I think there's a story when uh, Butch Harmon was working with Greg um, and flattening his swing back in the, the early 90s that yeah. they, they spent a whole lot of time hitting balls off side hill lies to do exactly yeah. what you said, to, to change the swing, the swing pass yeah. by putting them in that spot. And, and it sounds um, – it might just sound like very simple, but however, you need to know the student well to know when is the time – to introduce that style of practice because so you look at it and they're going, well, okay, have I spent enough time to learn how this player ticks? Do the, does the player have enough awareness of themselves on how they can manipulate the technique uh, when they're uh, faced with a variable lie? And that's what the game is. Every, every time you go out in the golf course, there's, how rarely do we get a how, – how often do we get a, a flat lie? <laughs> it's not that often. But do they practice that? No, they practice off a hitting mat on a flat lie and – Try hit as straight as possible. Now I've got a got a question for you because I come across <laughs> these students all the time, and yep. I, I that coaching is and all the sports science says that is the hundred percent best way to go about getting people to make changes is to put them in that type of situation. Yep. How do you deal with that person that just wants you to tell them what to do? <laughs> oh, that's that's a great question. Um, I knew they were coming. <laughs> so let's say that. There are players who want uh, the answer, don't they? They want the answer straight away, you just to tell them. They're not willing to uh, sit there and let you, um, you know, or tell them uh, or, or investigate too much. So you work with that player, you give them what they want. You do give them what they want because if that's the first session and you don't give them what they want, they're unlikely to come back. Um, but the other thing would be that's where you need to craft your questioning so well to, one, develop uh, their understanding of what they're trying to do. Uh, concepts are a huge thing. You know, asking about what they what they uh, attempting to do with that shot, what's their intention for that shot, uh, what's their, their triggers or their swing cues uh, as they're hitting. And they'll riddle off this con- that huge list, huge list. And you think, okay, and you go, all right, the golf swing's over. Good luck trying to remember all those things. So what I is it? Check- so, yeah, what what are you going to do to um, to make this uh, the change? And that's where we try and target the root cause. And that's our goal as a coach is to target the root cause, have the uh, student understand that this is the consequence for not targeting that area. And, and then it comes back down to that evidence-based. You know, so you, you might be fortunate enough to... Um, uh, use a, a track man or whatever, and you can you can say, well, okay, this particular uh, swing concept isn't helping. This does. Uh, this is where we need to shift your pathway of thinking. So, talk me through a success story. Talk me through someone you had that just didn't want to do it your way and was just keen for that answer. How did you get them around to coming your way? Oh, let's uh, let's try to think of someone. Um, 
there's got to be someone that you turned around that just was so keen to do it. No, you give me the answers, and then you've. Oh convinced. yeah, the, yeah, it, it, there was um, a female player. She uh, higher handicap, and she had actually gone through a uh, a clinic program that I'd run at Royal Adelaide, and I remember, and and that's something I'll bring up later as well about uh, my shift away from clinic coaching as well, um, but. I look at it in the sense of we, I took them through like a five, six-week program and gave them uh, content for full swing, pitching, chipping, putting, and they followed it to a point. And when I actually moved venues, uh, she uh, sought me out after and said, look, uh, everything I've worked on is fine, but I, I wanted to work down this particular area with my with my game. And I said, well, this this uh, your your technique has improved through just simply through the classes and through your own self exploration. However, she wasn't getting the scores that she was capable of doing, and she could bomb it. She could hit this driver so far, and I'm going, "How are you still off like a 35 handicap? It's not. It doesn't make sense." So what what's go- where's the breakdown? And running through uh, a strong performance routine, so having the thoughts put in place of what their intention is before they walk into the ball, have a sensory focus over the golf ball. So it might be a tempo or balance focus. Um, and then just developing less doubt over the golf ball, she was able to access better shots. And and she bought into it after that where she said, oh, yeah, the the mindset is a big thing, isn't it? And I said, well, yeah, yeah like we, it, it's, it's something so that it it shouldn't be trained, trained last. It needs to be actually probably trained first, and that's where uh, the learner-based coaching is. You know, learner-centered coaching is is a big opportunity there because you're you're, you're getting into the mindset and uh, emotionally invested in the student to help them. And that's a scary place to be as a coach too, because you're getting really deep with you know their their failures and their their wants and uh, success, and and you, you got to. Um, you got to just keep it cool a bit in the sense of going, well, okay, it's just, they're buying into the change. So now you need to um, you know, give them the best advice possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do. Wow, that's cool. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that type of training and coaching is obviously going to help them take it onto the golf course easier, I would yes. think. Yeah, definitely. So they aren't just standing on the driving range hitting from the perfect flat line with the same club over and over again. You're, you're putting them in situations and um, they can certainly apply that. So I'm assuming your clients are great at being able to take those changes onto the golf course? Yes. So we um, – so we, we, like I've developed a, a system, a learning framework, uh, which I'm putting into like a, an online production at the moment. Uh, so there's three phases to that learning. Uh, the first one is discovering the baseline pattern. So that's reviewing their their fundamentals, uh, using uh, human skills to achieve uh, the technical change to complement their their technique. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, self discovery in that session, um, and then they would then progress to layering the skill set, which would be how can you then manipulate your setup, ball position, path uh, alignments. Uh, concepts to create new shapes or new shots and then the final phase uh, is constraining to perform so that's putting them through constraint led uh, uh, training games so there's a, a sort of like a right here right now approach where you need to execute the shot otherwise there's a consequence and it's not so like it's not a consequence as if you you need to go and do push-ups that's not what i'm saying it's about okay knowing what the player's weakness is and let's say they might be struggling with short range putts uh, but there's a consequence for uh, missing a fairway shot uh, between you know, the flag and the right edge of the, of the green. If they don't achieve that, then they need to go and perform X amount of uh, short-range putts and not the same putt, mind you, like a new one each time And because that's a weakness and they can't progress back to what they really want, uh, which is like to hit their, their fairway shot straight uh, until they've passed their uh, short-range putts. So your 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 pricing for your coaching, you're a subscription based setup mostly, aren't you? For your for yeah your yeah. So I, I I have a bit of both. So there's some players who um, aren't ready to take on that leap of long term development. So there's uh, initial uh, hour rates there, uh, but I would uh, set up a program, and it, it really does depend on what the player needs. 
So I might set up a, a one-month, two-month, three-month program. Uh, I've, I've done six- and ten-month programs before, uh, but then price it accordingly. I would have thought when you started doing that, you would have got some pretty heavy pushback, especially from a from a private club that um, they just want to pay for their hour and all their half hour lesson. And did you have you seen a, a shift towards these uh, the long term plans now? I think players are starting to get it. Um, there's, I don't know if there's really any pushback from the clubs, but they would uh, that they, they support what I I would do. Um, it, the students who say, look, I want to get better, if you sell them the pathway, if you sell them the roadmap going forwards about, well, okay, this is what is priority here, uh, this is how we're going to structure it, we're going to be doing you know, maybe three sessions um, in a month, okay, and uh, we'll be constantly reviewing and, and uh, uh, trimming you know, the, the, the pathway over the coming months to help them narrow down their focus to certain areas and, and that's where stats are so vital as well. You know, so you can get players who uh, have uh, well, there's heaps of stats programs out there now, isn't there? So uh, you can you can gather as much data as possible, but also uh, actually just going out in the golf course and playing around the golf with them, and 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 doing that on the odd occasion, you can certainly learn where areas need to be targeted first. And the player's got a pretty good idea too. What would your split be with with your clients? How many are on programs, and how many are just paying as they come for each for, for um, coaching? I would say probably about sixty forty. So sixty on programs and forty individual, great. Um, which That's is great, great, great for me. Uh, and yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's probably where it's at now at the moment. Yeah, and do I do I want to shift it? You know, to one hundred percent programs. Um, I, I don't think that's realistic. I, I I don't see everyone's going to be committing to long term because there's, everyone's different, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you said before that you've gone away from clinic based coaching, which kind of leads me to a two parter. So talk me through why you moved away from clinic based questions. Yeah, but also I want to touch oh, yep. on your junior program as well because yeah, great. you've got a. You've, you've got a pretty good junior program set up there. I do. Um, I'd be pretty pretty cool to hear about your shift towards that program as opposed to the clinic-based stuff as well. Yeah. So um, with uh, I, haven't, I don't think I've done a, uh, a clinic for probably two years now, <laughs> which is pretty mad from when I first started coaching. Uh, there's clinics in every week. Uh, but the reason I've done that is that because I, I like working more with the individual um, and then it's kind of sometimes it's a bit dangerous, isn't it, when you give blanket instruction to a variety of different uh, personalities and different interpretations of information. And in a clinic setting, the clinics are done pretty quickly, aren't they? They're probably an hour session at, at, at most. And if you've given them information there to go and work on and drills, the drills may not work for some people. So then you're kind of jeopardising a little bit your your um, I guess your your profile in the sense of going well, okay. Daniel's told me to do this. This doesn't work for me. Um, okay, I'll, I won't do coach. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, or oh, that drill didn't help. So I'm like, well, okay. Well, I'll take that scenario out and I'll go. Okay, I'll do just one on one, and and I'll look at it in the sense of going. Well, at least I know I've personalised the training and practice design to help the student. That, that certainly makes sense, and it, it is. I always found it hard early on in my coaching, and I've, obviously you improve as you go along. But that that same situation where you've got six people in front of you that are all slightly different, and being able to coach them individually, I used yeah. to do a like a a real brief introduction, and then essentially give them all private lessons as yeah, they're going yeah, through their yeah. through and, the coaching. I guess when you, when you're working with your pennant teams, pennant squads. That's uh, something you need to be really wary of, isn't it? Because you've got multiple skill levels, and uh, do you give them all the same task to do? And uh, you know, I'm still playing around a little bit with that. How I, I run that the best way? Um, sure. Yeah. So, talk me through your junior program. Talk me through how you've set that up. There's um, yeah. some pretty cool things going on there in yeah. that in that kid program. So, talk me through that. Yeah, the the junior program uh, is through trial and error. And one thing about junior programs, you don't really know how well you're doing them until about ten years later. <laughs> true, very true. <laughs> so uh, you just need to put your best hat on and go. Well, okay, this is the, the way I feel it needs to be done. Yeah, but our, our junior program uh, that was part of the big reason uh, I was at Kionga now is to set up a strong uh, junior academy there. 
And uh, so we run uh, Sunday classes uh, and uh, midweek and then Saturday programs as well. So we probably have, uh, probably not at the moment because we do have a few things on hold due to COVID, but uh, when, when we're in peak season, we're probably about 60 juniors each week, which is a big amount, and they're all really keen to be there and learn. Uh, but the, the way that came about was actually through my trip to uh, when I went and turned, uh, visited Rob Knoll in Louisiana. I came across a program uh, that's called Operation 36. Uh, players, uh, coaches are more and more uh, aware of it now because of how big it's growing. Uh, but I, I went over to the States because of part of that reason. So I heard about these junior programs and uh, and I looked at it and I go, well, look, there's a there's a curriculum that the students will follow, the juniors will follow. It's 12 subjects, uh, the six levels. The student will need to pass all 12 to rank up. Uh, so there's a, a, a good benchmarking process and you know, reward for effort, which is what we're trying to encourage any junior to do. Um, and then there's an on-course component as well where they start from a short range and work their way back. Okay, so you can use that for any. You don't need to use that Operation 36 model, but you can use that in any context for any uh, skill level. Uh, but, yeah, so we have that set up. I've uh, developed uh, six squads. Um, I just nicknamed them like K1, K2, so on, you know, for Kionga 1. Uh, so starting at about, say, five years of age um, to uh, about eight in the first class, uh, then nine to 11, then 12 to 16, and then we move it into um, a bit more one-on-one uh, development that way. But it's it's working really well. Uh, the, the program itself has online content, uh, so there's a, an online app that they can use. And the cool thing about it is that when I went over to the US, uh, it wasn't available international. So it was only American-based, and and, and, that, and that, I, I said, well, look, I, I really want to launch it. I really want to get it up and running outside. And so it was the first um, academy set up outside the US, and that was actually at Royal Adelaide at the time. And uh, from there, it's just grown. Like the, the license became international, and, and I think there's probably about a dozen um, uh, facilities now set up in Australia, a uh, really good one over in Joondal up there with, with Axel uh, Donaldson over there. He's doing an amazing job with that um, and a few on the eastern sides as well. And then I think there's some in New Zealand now. You know, so it's pretty cool to know that, I've, you know, maybe not directly involved, but like I had a big influence on having that program uh, coming out of the US. Um, and I think that's something that we can look in our national program as well. We probably can look at modernising that a little bit um, and using key attributes from uh, other, other uh, programs out there. Okay, and uh, because it's a matter of just giving everyone the best opportunity to get better and, and if we uh, continually to uh, reflect on what we're currently doing and seeing if we can advance it in any way, then that's a great opportunity. And our, and we, our national program's great as well. Like I'm not, I'm not <laughs> um, being, having to dig at that at all, uh, but I know that we can, uh, everyone can do better at what uh, junior programs are out there. Yeah, and and that's and that is the key thing. Just being sure that you uh, programs change over time and they always improve. So being open to being flexible to having to having stuff change and improve is certainly certainly powerful and certainly really cool. Um, so speaking of changing and COVID world and all those types types of things, uh, you've got a a coaching um, little system where you coach online. Oh yeah, can you talk? Can you, can you talk everyone through that? Um, is that the, the Swing Index you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So Swing Index is a, um, an online uh, training app. So uh, there's numerous training apps out there like the Skillist and V1 and um, plenty of them out there. Uh, Swing Index is uh, set up. It's designed by some of the top 100 US uh, golf teachers and it uses a uh, some software where it, analyzes 21 parameters of the golf swing and rates them uh, or gives you the opportunity to rate them and then it sets up a roadmap for the student to follow. So they'll submit a, a baseline uh, full swing. You go away and you go, right, these are the key areas that your primary swing fault needs to be improved and uh, they, and they get access to uh, swing drills and videos and exercises and you do voiceover annotations as well. And the great thing about it is that because it's – most of these uh, online programs – uh, it's video and it's voiceover over the video where with Swing Index, it's actually only the image and you draw the graphics over the image. And what I found, it's, it's quite interesting because the the image itself, 
uh, it narrowed the student's focus just to one thing where when you have the video there, uh, they might see something else that's going on in their pattern and they might actually get sidetracked and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to just bypass what my coach has said and just target this area. So I, I found some really big improvements with uh, students' um, uh, skill level just by running through that system. And, yeah, and, and it's, it's in its infancy, it's a, it's a new product. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's excellent for um, really just uh, tapping into that online market, which is uh, prominent now. <laughs> you know, it's more than ever. <laughs> is that something that you push your clients towards as well or is it something that you do on the side for um, people that can't get to you face-to-face? Uh, it's, it's definitely more remote learning. So um, I, I travel quite um, a, a few hours away to uh, like Port Hughes, which is uh, uh, north of Adelaide. And there's a lot of sort of uh, miners and, and people who work out on stations out there who can't get to me in Adelaide. So I might see them there for a coaching visit uh, during school holiday time. I do like a coaching weekend there. Uh, but then they sign up to the Swing Index and they submit some videos through or some footage through uh, and I can coach them remotely that way. Uh, but most of it's international. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Mate, I could I could talk with you all day about <laughs> coaching. <laughs> me too. Um, but the different questions that I like to ask uh, all the guests on the podcast. Yeah, cool. So we'll get to those um, now. So what's your best piece of advice for coaches starting out in the, the coaching world right now? Oh, that's so good. Um, I think the, the, the coaches starting out now, I, I feel they have a lot more uh, skill in the sense of the content that they've learned through the traineeship. And even now, with it being a bit more specialised, that can be that's going to be harder uh, to, um, or sorry, it's going to be uh, easier for them to uh, target those specific skills because there's those pathways there available to them. Uh, I, I think that one of the big things for me is uh, just be more student focused and be a good listener. Uh, sometimes, like you don't need to talk. <laughs> it's hard to do though, isn't it? It's hard it to is. Do. It is, and. I, I look at it and I, I, I've had a few trainees because I'm a mentor for the PGA as well. So I have a few trainees watch me give lessons and they go, Daniel, it's so quiet. <laughs> I say, you're not saying. I say, well, I'm watching. I'm listening to what the student says after a shot. I'm watching their body language. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, just actually, you know, just shut up and listen and see what they have to say. Uh, secondly, I probably would say that understanding that as a professional, you're always on show. Uh, so try to carry yourself as a professional both on and off the course. And when it comes to social media these days, it's easy to uh, let that slip. And it's such a small community now online, isn't it? You know, it's a small golf world really. So just be careful of that in the sense of going, well, okay, what am I doing uh, here? Is that going to be influencing my brand? Because at the end of the day, you are a brand and you need to uh, sell your brand uh, professionally each time. Um, that's great advice and it it does it spreads so quickly as well if you do put something out there that doesn't um come back to you it comes back to you really quickly yeah so yeah and you you apply for a job in 12 months time and that and that post pops up again that's right um and probably one more would be uh maybe seek out a mentor of some kind now that doesn't mean golf either that that might be a business person it might be someone in another sport uh because they have plenty to offer um and you can use traits of what you learned from that mentor to help you develop as a person and develop as a coach as well. Awesome. Someone to talk to is, is certainly a powerful tool yeah. to have. So yeah. I certainly like that idea. Mate, you've done really well on that one. <laughs> so the, the advice for golfers out there. So hopefully there's a few golfers tuning into the podcast <laughs> as so. well. So if there's any golfers out there, what advice would you have for them starting out or to still improve their golf? Yeah, I would say pay attention more to your pre-round warm-up. Remember that on the day of competition, it's about what you have on the day Uh, because there's a new moment from shot to shot, minute to minute. uh, Does consistency exist? That's, That's the thing to look at. Does consistency exist? It's about managing the variability of the game, managing the variability of yourself, uh, because we're, we're human beings, we're living and we change day to day from the environment that we surround ourselves in. So the pre-round warm-up is a vital opportunity for you to not play golf swing but just get your mind and body in a great place. So targeting uh, your balance, uh, tension levels, tempo, 
there's a numerous amount of drills out there for those uh, to help you calibrate what you need in the sense of, okay, this is today I'm feeling that I need to be a bit more biased with my balance on my left side. Uh, I need a grip pressure that's, say, 6 out of 10. Okay, my tempo needs to be about 70%. Okay, and you, and you use that in the sense of going, that's going to give you a code, a playing code, I call it, uh, to get a bit more predictability with your ball striking. And then that gives you an opportunity to go to the first team with that. And then it, it comes down to the skill being adaptable too, doesn't it? After a shot, that first tee shot might not go to plan. So do you have the skill set to adapt those um, human elements to create the pattern you want to hit the next shot up the fairway? <laughs> it's, it's it's challenging as a coach for to see the players just have that one plan and yeah. don't change it if yeah. they're having that day where they're struggling. Yeah. Um, it's so easy just to keep shooting at flags or keep playing shots that you you have played in the past, yeah. but you just be but if you are having that bad day, just to come back just a touch and just play a little bit smarter. And, and I'm finding it more and more, Brent, with uh, just with COVID at the moment, you know, people are pretty stressed as well. So you can see how a player is before they uh, get to you and you go, oh, look, you know what, maybe – you know, dialing in the, the technique isn't the plan today. Maybe it's about going, well, let's see how we can manage yourself better and get yourself into a, a learning state and then uh, give them the strategies to uh, best prepare themselves for uh, the round because they may not have as much time at the moment to practice or play due maybe working harder um, or uh, managing their, their, skill, their work life. So uh, th- those sort of pre-round warm-ups are pretty vital. Great advice. Um would you change anything in your career? So you've obviously had a, a pretty pretty awesome career, pretty cool career so far. Yeah. Is there anything um, that any 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 sliding door section where you might want to go down a down a different path? To be honest, I I, I wouldn't. Um, I I know I'm very very fortunate to be in the position I I, I am now. Um, I work extremely hard on what I do and. Uh, away from the course, I'm working. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on on what I can do better, uh, both as an individual and as a coach. Uh, the oh, the way I look at it, those experiences that I've I've uh, gone through have made me who I am today. So, is it fair to say, oh, look, do I need to change anything? No, I don't. I think it's like, well, it is who I am, uh, who I am today. So, and I'm happy with the person I am today. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for what I've, what I've been able to achieve and the people I've met, the industry I'm in. Um, for me, it feels like it's the best industry in the world. You know, I've, I've got my dream job here, but I work hard to keep it that way. And uh, but I, I do realise that it's it's more to life than golf too. <laughs> yeah, true. It's a completely acceptable answer that you that you you've every step you've taken has brought you to this place mm. where you are now, and yeah, and that's fine. That's no issue with that whatsoever. <laughs> um, so you can answer this uh, both ways, or one way, or two ways. So five years time, where do you see either? Ye- yourself personally yep. um, or the game of golf in general? Yeah, I think where I'm heading at the moment is certainly down more coach development space. Uh, I've, I've had some uh, quite influential mentors over the last couple of years that have really helped me and uh, maybe just expose a few new ideas um, and whether or not it's in golf or not, I'm not sure, uh, but also the the being a, a mentor for the traineeships, uh, that's that's my opportunity to play around with that a little bit as well, um, and even with staff members as well, just to help them. Uh, but I, yeah, I'd say quite close to uh, doing what I'm doing. Um, I've got some promising uh, students coming through who uh, pursuing professional ranks. So I'd like to see a few more players out on tour. Uh, I have a couple out there at the moment um, who are doing well. And, yeah, I, th- I think it's probably that's where I'm at, uh, probably more coach development and uh, having a few more players out there on the big stage. Oh, that's cool. So watch this space. Yeah, it's exciting. Goes. Yeah, <laughs> There's some sure. cool things coming through. So, again, Daniel, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been um, a really good chat. We could probably go on for another couple of hours. Yeah, without. we could. we we'll have to do part two or something. <laughs> we, I, I think we'll have to. I think it that's, seems to be a common theme so far. Everyone I'm talking to, we're kind of going to have to do a part two yeah. at some stage. That's a big um, name to I follow just, too. <laughs> 
well, I just enjoy talking coaching with everybody, and everyone's had such really cool things to share. So yeah. it's been been great fun. Um, where can people find you if they're if they're trying to hunt you down? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm splashed all over the place with social media. Um, probably where you find me the most is on Instagram, uh, just Blackwell Golf Performance. That's Blackwell underscore Golf underscore Performance. Um, I've got my website Blackwell Golf. Uh, sorry, Blackwell Golf com. Um, yeah, you can find me anywhere, really. Just Google it and <laughs> slow. I've got some something floating around somewhere. It'll come up there. Yeah, so thank I you. Will, um, I will put those plugs out there as we as we put this this um this show up. But yes. again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming in and talking to me. Yeah, thanks very much, Brent. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, all the best with the future sessions. Thank you. Thank you.